The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. (laughs) You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. All right. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Big Daddy Carter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm never going to get used to it. It's just the, oh, yeah. It's, it's the sultry, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You laugh every yeah. time. Yeah, there and you I go, Ralph. It. I love it every time. I, do, I, I, I do. I can't get used no. to it. <laughs> I love it. And I can't stop coughing. It's just dust, ladies. <laughs> yeah, Straight. Rick, it's just dust Welch. Yeah, that, it's just dust Welch. Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. And behind the glass is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. So uh, the rest of the cast, uh, these losers, they just canceled on me like right before the show. So now I know what you say about me when I'm not here. <laughs> See, it's obvious he doesn't listen to the podcast because you would know. <laughs> no, um, unfortunately, Cherry and Sarita and uh, Billy were unable to be here. They had uh, other. Um, engagements that were more important than us. <laughs> Way more important. <laughs> um, what possibly could I be more Billy. important than this? They're down at the corner bar. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, I miss Billy too. And uh, uh, I don't know. Well, I guess by the time this thing airs, I'll have already spoke at Berean Bible Church. Ooh. Uh, I am coming in uh, August 27th. A, I will be speaking at Berean Bible so Church. So this is basically not a spoiler alert. It's not. It's after the fact. Yes. And so if you've heard it, you know just how awesome it was. And if you haven't heard it, <laughs> you better go right now, turn this off, yeah. and go listen to it. Then no, come back. Uh, Pastor Curtis asked me to come and fill in for him. Uh, I'm very honored that, is that crazy. he did ask That's me to awesome. come. So I'm excited to go down there. Um, a lot of my favorite speakers. And it was awesome, Rick. It was really great. It, well, thank you. Every thank you. I was glad it. that you were there and you saw it. There's <laughs> Encore, Encore. You know I love Jeff McCormick oh, and yeah. you, your Crookshank fan and yes. Sullivan and all do those guys. Do you want me to just put like a stadium-sized crowd, oh, crowd of wadding awesome. awesome. on the end of it? That yes. would be great. Because yeah, I can. Anyway. <laughs> well, all he's got to do is push the button on his podcast or it's got one. Yeah. Well, so... Oh, that's right. I don't know how to use it properly yet. Uh, I'm working on oh, it. Oh, I Stop do. By. I know the little one. Yeah? I mean, remember, You've been working on I it? I sent you. No, 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 not that one. I'm talking about the, the roadcaster oh, that no. I got. Stop the, by. The we'll multi-channel We'll deal. do that. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the little one. It was yeah. it was all multi-track last time awesome. you gave it to me. I know. Me. Yeah. Well, thankfully, Ralph told me that. But anyway, <laughs> this is a testimony episode. Yeah, well, sorry, yeah I guess we should get that. Yeah, and I'm very excited because this this gentleman who was on tonight, actually reached out to us. And I can't remember if it was Facebook. I think it was through Facebook. And it was um, just a message saying that he'd listened to the show. Seems like a pattern going on here, Rick. I know. See? See what happens? And um, turns out I really like this guy. He listens to the podcast, and, and he is really critiquing it. And he has found... Uh, some things where we've been wrong or things where he wanted to add information to. He's proven Dr. Sam whoa, Frost whoa, whoa. is wrong. Whoa. Right. Wait. Hey. Who's wrong? Wait. Who? Stop yeah. The I need clarification. Stop the presses. Just so we all understand, 
you were the one that was wrong, Andy. But anyway, so <laughs> the, there was a couple things that Dr. Sam Frost had said, and he sent this, uh, it wasn't a skating review, it was just very open and honest and to the point, and um, pretty much proved some of the things that Sam said was incorrect, which made me, I was like, oh, awesome. I really wish he'd have been in the studio that day because <laughs> I was lost. But anyway. Well, hey, Sam seems to have a is easy time of making some people that, that don't know what he's referring to. Yeah. Lost. Right, right. That's, I mean, he, he can talk you, like I said, he can wrap you up into a little bow and set you on the shelf. That's he, he's, he's a debater, you know. Anyway, let's move on. So, Mr. Jack Pelham, our guest, thank Yay! you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to meet you, everybody. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you. And it was it was fun, that first interaction. And then, you know, I just asked him, I was like, hey, why don't you come on the show and, and talk to us about some of this stuff? And he agreed. Then I asked him for his testimony, to which uh, he actually said, well, it's not as interesting. And I told him that he was born again. And so therefore, it is interesting to me. And so let's go with that. Jack, are you ready to get started? Sure, go ahead. All right. So I always ask my guests this same question. To the best of your ability, can you tell me your earliest memory of when you heard the name Jesus Christ? No idea. Okay. I'm sure I probably heard it in my infancy and, uh, you know, grew up going to church and all that. Probably heard it at home. Not sure. But uh, I have no idea when that would have been. So you grew up. So when you were born, you were born into a Christian family? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you were, from from birth, you were in church. May I ask what denomination, if there was one? Uh, sure. It was United Methodist. Okay. And so and I was fortunate fortunate to be born into a family where uh, the parents were present and at home uh, and uh, faithful to each other and not violent and reliable people and, and sober. And so um, the older I get, the more I realize, oh, wow, we were all imperfect, but that's really a special situation. That's a that's a diamond in the rough, right yeah, there. Yeah, more than it should be, certainly. It reminds me of the uh, behind the music of Weird Al Yankovic. Have you ever seen it? I've when not. At the end of it, he's crying and he's like, "My mom and dad, they loved me, and they always made sure I had plenty of food, and I never <laughs> did drugs, and I've never drank alcohol." You know, like the behind the music is always a sob story, but he didn't have one. Yeah, he was just a weird dude. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry about that, Jack. So, being raised in this family, at some point, you know, we're not born believers, so at some point, um, you're going to encounter the gospel. I assume. Can you? take us to that point in your life? Well, that's difficult because it's always, you know, you, you hear about it at church all the time. It's sort of, it's, you know, as you're becoming aware of the world around you, well, church is part of that and so forth. And so, um, you know, there were uh, lots of things I thought through and it was difficult um, with church because I, I realized by the time I'm, you know, in youth group that I really love having deep talks about stuff. Uh, sure. Even if now I would look back and think they weren't very deep at all, <laughs> but it felt deep at the time. And um, so it was funny uh, seeing how like I had um, some of the youth group kids a couple of years older than me and we would have these, you know, what do they call them? Um, rap sessions, I think, or something. This is back in the 70s. I'm 58 years old now. So they'd have rap sessions and I thought that was the coolest thing. And then those graduated and some of the younger class coming up, all they wanted to do was play kickball. 
I'm like, oh wow, that's quite a difference. <laughs> and uh, I was very disappointed at that. So I always love to talk about it, but um, this is one of the things that would sort of grow to bother me over time as I grew. Sure. So, so uh, tell me, at what stage of your life, you know, if you've been introduced to the gospel, you've been around the gospel, you love to talk about it, do you have a salvation story? Wow. Okay. Uh, so it gets really complicated. Uh, I'm probably 18 years old and I'm sitting in a church, I guess maybe the third or fourth uh, Methodist congregation that I'd been a member in. And I've been reading the Bible on my own more and more. And um, so here we are reciting one of the creeds. It may have been the Apostles' Creed or perhaps the Nicene Creed. And um, But I'd been realizing with my friends that I was in a fellowship that didn't really ever think too much about the details. Mm -hmm. And we'd go through the motions and say the things and sing the songs. But, and I remember thinking something like, um, I'm pretty sure that my friends sitting around me right here today don't really believe this or don't have much clue like what it is they're believing. Like, you know, what are the details of the things we're saying and affirming when we say this thing? Uh, and then I realized I, I'm not so sure I understand what I'm saying either, and I know I haven't really studied it. Mm -hmm. And so that that was a bothersome moment for me. I felt a little lost there in the church. Uh, like, well, gee, if we're not going to study our own doctrines, why are we here? Is it just for the you know the activities we do or, or whatever? And so I just always found that very dissatisfying. And then I got invited by a longtime friend, uh, a church friend who had gone off to college and got involved in another church. And she comes back to town for Christmas and invites me to go to a church of that flavor with her. And it's funny, I, I had thought about whether I would share which, you know, what are the names of the churches? Because I'm afraid about our culture. We love camps. We love mm -hmm. to be in this camp or, or not in that camp. Or thank God I'm not in that camp anymore. Right. And oh, oh boy. Okay. And so a lot of times we'll say, oh, um, that guy, that, you know, Jerry, uh, he's a blank, you know, he's a Lutheranist or he's a Basbeterian yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Okay. And, uh, and boy, boy, is he messed up because all those Basbeterians are really messed up. Well, no, Jerry either has error or sin going on or, you know, both because he's human. And the problem is the error or the sin and not the camp he goes to. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so I thought about, oh, I don't need to say the names because it's just whatever the errors were and the sins or whatever that's important. But but I don't mind to tell you, I, I started going to a Church of Christ uh, that my friend invited me to. And that was very different uh, for me because... Uh, one, they were way more interested in actually studying the Bible. Everybody would have their Bible and they'd open them during the sermons and look and all that. And then, of course, they definitely wanted to engage on soteriology because uh, they believed in baptism, for example, where uh, that it was necessary for salvation, where the United Methodists didn't. Uh, it was more of a token there, that sort of thing. So there's that big difference. And then uh, so they wanted to study the Bible with me, <laughs> and I have to tell on myself, the first time the fellow asked me, hey, you want to get together and study the Bible? And I said, 
or either I thought, I can't remember, did it come out of my mouth or not? But I remember the moment was, uh, hey, do you want to study the Bible? And my answer in my head was, sure. What would you like to know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm telling on myself and the, just the great pride and arrogance that I, I considered I was well-versed in the Bible. Well, so, and I was not. And so we started uh, studying and we went through things like discipleship and all that. This group was sort of friendly with that 1970s uh, discipleship movement. And uh, they were sort of, I don't want to say toying with that, but they were sort of exploring that thing and they found it somewhat convincing. And so... Are, are you talking you know, about like the Jesus in, Revolution, like what the Jesus Revolution movie was about, like that movement? Well, like maybe-ish, but the discipling movement and what is it called? Um, oh, I'm not going to remember right now. Uh, but but anyway, this the several different camps were somewhat influenced by this idea that you needed to be more than just a Christian, more than just a believer. You needed to be an actual disciple of Jesus. Okay, okay. But then also that you needed somebody to disciple you. You needed some church partner to be your teacher, your guide, your discipler, your you know handler. Mm, sure. <laughs> they wouldn't use the word handler. Handler, but, you know, yeah. Something <laughs> on, Basically, okay, you right. can do it on your own. You need somebody yeah. else. Yeah, right. Right. Okay. And so, and and in one way, I totally get that. I'm a musician. I went to uh, school of music, and where they're smart enough, to, if you go in there, they actually make you take lessons with a teacher, rather than assuming you know it. So that some individual human is wrestling with your skills and ability, and your knowledge and your understanding, and that's very very smart. And so, I totally get the hands-on thing. Now, how well it, how well it's done? It's a different issue, of course. Mm-hmm. And there were certainly problems with that. Uh, however, uh, on the topic of conversion and such, uh, it didn't take them long to convince me that there was a lot missing in my spiritual life and that I was not had never really become attached in my earlier life to this idea that, wait a minute, I'm supposed to belong to Jesus now. Like, I was supposed to have a mind change, which, you know, it's what the word repent means. Mm-hmm but um, that I was actually supposed to have some mind change and now be accountable to him for my behavior and things like this. And, and these things are so hard to talk about because they trigger so many people in different ways or people might assume they know what this group means by that or what that group means by that. But long and short of it, there was there was more hands-on with Jack than I'd ever gotten before. Okay. And, uh, you know... You're getting really introspective what, at this point and you're starting to think, wait a minute, you know... What am I doing here? Right. And like even getting through like their position about baptism, I'm like, wait, that's new. I've never heard that before. And um, how could the whole world be wrong? Or how could so many Christians be wrong? Right? Can you explain that a little bit? So the Church of Christ, I assume you're saying that if you are not baptized, then you therefore have not had salvation. Oh, right. They would go to Acts 2.38 for sure, and they would say, mm-hmm. Look, this, this is uh, for forgiveness of the sins and for reception of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, which they understood as you know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that idea. Uh, and so, to them, it was a necessary thing, mm-hmm. and I found it f- quite convincing. And I do wonder whether preterism has some implications on that. Mm-hmm. You know, was baptism supposed to be this perpetual thing, or was it supposed to be you know a temporary thing? Uh, only for a time, and then it would. There's like there's a timestamp on it, 
just like Lord's Supper, it says you proclaim his death until he comes. Yeah. Uh, okay, wait a minute. What if after he's come, are we supposed, still supposed to do that? Well, mm -hmm. that's an excellent question. And, oh boy, how's somebody going to answer that? And what's sure. the right and wrong? I Absolutely. totally respect the question, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so anyway, uh, the whole the whole baptism thing that had me convinced in this, of course, this whole, this moment of, wait, if this is right, and, and I, I thought it was, and I still don't think it was wrong, uh, but I totally understand the value of the debate and the conversation about it. Uh, but uh, that moment of realizing, wait, how could like, you know, bajillions of Christians be wrong? And that that was a possibility? Mm -hmm. To be fair, and, humans yeah, at large have been wrong about many, many things. I mean, when, oh, in the boy. 90s, when I was in high school, the pervasive thought was still that there were no other planets. Like, literally, that's just what everybody thought. Uh, in the 90s. Right. That's right. You know, the <laughs> sun revolving, the Earth revolving around the sun. and That's back in the, the day ether, when Pluto was a planet. Remember that? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I mean. Most of, most of the ideas we have today are ideas that were revised from other ideas continually in a number of times. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a good argument. That's but it I'm is saying. when you're in when you when you grow up in church, Andy, you have this belief. I don't I don't know why and how it comes this way, but we believe that especially when we're young, we think everyone believes the same and that this is what it means. Like this is this is what God is, this is what the church is, and this I, is how I, it is. I feel like that's a human experience it, that, kind it, of in general. I yeah. think it is. But for us, because we put so much faith um, in like the authority of the Bible, for example, if we put that much faith in that book, then how could people for 2000 years have misinterpreted it? Uh, do you see what I mean? It's easy for us now because we've been reading it and doing that. We've been saying, wait a minute, some things are different here, but it's hard. It's, it's hard to, to unlearn that. You know what I mean? Especially for those who have been taught the Bible is the authority. And this is what the Bible means when it says this. Yeah, I just think it's an interesting line of thought. That how could everybody be wrong? You're like, well, everybody's been wrong about a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's you know, true. That's all. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you, Jack. Oh yeah, and Andy, I totally agree with you. I have more in more recent years. I've studied. I got really concerned about why is it so hard to correct somebody when you can prove all day long with the facts and logic and sourcing that they're wrong about something. Oh my God, if you figure that one out, I'll, I'll, give, you my, my, I'll give you my phone and bank account numbers. Sweet. Well, I, <laughs> nice. I'm working on it. I mean, you, you, when you're in a church setting, I mean, you're always told to trust. Trust uh -huh. Jesus, trust Jesus. That, that's a key word in, in your part of your knowledge, growth, and wealth. And mm -hmm. So if you're to trust Jesus, then why are you not to be able to trust people telling you about Jesus? Well, and some, some go as so far as if you even you know, question the doctrine themselves, then it's almost like you're listening to the devil. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, totally. oh you're listening to the doctrines of devil. You can't ask that they, kind of question. Don't don't go down that path. You're fo you're going to be following into a cult. And like, that's what happens. But then how is it not, it's interesting how they tell you that you're going to be into a cult mm -hmm. when how are they not themselves being cult themselves? Well, they don't see it that way. Cults don't see themselves. <laughs> because if they did, then right. you wouldn't have to escape them. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. You know? right. No, it's, they, yeah. They, they see the inherent, the inherent right. good or the positivity in the community that they've built or whatever. Exactly. You know, so, Jack, yeah. you're about to join a cult. Keep going. Just kidding. No, <laughs> <laughs> no keep going. Sorry. Oh, well, a lot, of people, a lot of people would have agreed with you, and then it... it <laughs> It got even more charged later. Mm. Um, 
so this thing, this conversation can go in a million different excellent directions. But uh, since you mentioned the cult thing, I will go on to mention that. Um, and then I started this, a cult. <laughs> oh no no the. Uh, so the Churches of Christ were uh, adamantly non-denominational. We have uh, they would they would say no. There's we're autonomous each congregation, and there is no central council or um, denominational headquarters. Uh, but this whole discipling thing grew so much that it created a divide between the more traditionalists who were like, well, look, we I got baptized, I'm good. And the others who are like, no, wait, I need to be living daily like a disciple of Jesus, taking up my cross daily and uh, living this way and, and so forth. So it, it was really a philosophical divide. And then here comes this fellow uh, out of Gainesville, Florida, who says, um, look, the traditional churches are dead. And if you're not discipling, you're not doing it right. And oh, by the way, I know how the discipling should be done. <laughs> and so of course they do. We, right. <laughs> and so basically, you all need to gather behind me. And it caused there some division, go. right? It caused division in the churches. And um, the guy was very uh, charismatic. Do you, and, do you remember uh, this guy's name? Joseph oh, Smith. Oh, absolutely. No, no not, not Joseph Smith. That would be but it's Tom funny Cruise. that it could... It could be one of a hundred or a thousand names because there's been people like this. The guy's name was Kip McKean. Okay. And okay, and so uh, so he started what became called the International Churches of Christ, and he um, wanted to be an apostle, but some of the elder guys said, "No, you can't do that." And he said, "Okay, well, wow. I'm serving. That's brave. I'm serving." Right. Yeah. By definition, an apostle is one who actually not only was taught by Christ, but saw him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and had powers and, and had powers. All this. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, he said, well, okay, well, I'll be one serving in the role of an apostle. Mm. Like, okay. So that sounds like basically the same thing. But, uh, but anyway, and <laughs> uh, these were things I would only learn years later as uh, things started to fall apart somewhat. And I started doing a bunch of investigating. Were you a investigated part of this place? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We oh, so were you assimilated. were there. Oh, it was oh. like the Borg. Okay, so <laughs> so yeah, I did. I did join the Church <laughs> of Christ, and we were uh, you know a mainline church, and then we were a discipling church. Well, then we got assimilated by the Borg, and we were part of the bigger organization. They were in and that perfect so, cube in Revelation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that before. Ah. Dun, dun, dun. But yeah, we were. Uh, so let me let me confess this, and I I bought into this. We were quote the only ones doing it. Mm. Uh, in quote, we were uh, defining Christianity for this generation. Sure. We were the New Testament church. Mm. Um, you know, this, this kind of thing. Well, so there's this camp mentality that I totally got suckered in by and that I am very worried about today uh, as a result. And so all things told, I stayed 17 years from joining the Church of Christ through getting assimilated until I finally left. If, if a group gives your life a powerful sense of meaning, I mean, that is a hell of a drug. Yeah. I a mean, powerful sense of meaning is like, man, that'll get you up every morning. you know. And if somebody can give that to you, real or false, yeah. 
you're going to be attracted to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jack, can I ask you a question? Sure. So with this group and this guy who was acting in the role of apostle, were these men, was he or were there men above you that would tell you what God was saying or would tell you God said this or would speak prophecy over your life or would do things which would change the direction or course of something that you were doing? Did that ever happen? Uh, yeah, maybe in a different flavor from how you might be thinking or how what you'd experience. It was not a charismatic church at all, so nobody thought they had the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, nobody thought he was a prophet. Uh, but I say that I, I don't know if you heard the asterisk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so here's what they would do, and this is like everywhere. Well, before the sermon, let's all bow our heads and pray, and some prayer like this would be said: "Dear God." As Brother Frank comes up to speak to us today, we pray that you will put the words on his heart that you want us to hear. Yeah. Well, Give, you know, wait a affect minute. His to me, that sounds, that yeah. sounds to me like Frank is a prophet. Yeah. Well, man, we, we actually do that quite often. I mean, it's similar in the Baptist church, too. I mean, I hear oh, yeah. prayers all the time yes. where it's before you get behind the sacred desk that, God, you'd give him the utterance from on high, let him speak to your people, and that we'd be able to apply the things that he said to our— I mean, that's a very common prayer, even in the Baptist church, where I come from. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I know it's super common, but every time I hear it, I cringe. I'm like, mm, I yeah. think you think you're a prophet, right? Sure. And the churches will do stuff like, well, the Lord put it on our heart that we needed a new sanctuary. Really, God did that because when it got you in trouble, you went in debt and thought this was a mistake later, or are you blaming God for that? Yeah. So I I really think, you know, you can know a thing, but then you don't really know it like you need to know it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we need to rethink this whole idea of prophecy. And mm-hmm. because I, I, by the way, and I didn't say this earlier, but I have, as far as I know, I have no commission from God. I am not a prophet. I'm not an evangelist. I'm certainly not an apostle. Uh, so I'm a guy using the brain God gave me to try to understand the scriptures that I think God had delivered to this generation. And so so anyway, that's always bothered me. But, but back to your question, how much did they try to influence me? Well, we were constantly under the influence because we'd hear things like God picks the leaders. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, so therefore, if the leader tells you something, then you don't do that, then you're going against God, Mm -hmm. right? And there was this constant thing about, like, going back to Solomon, and he doesn't listen to advice, is stupid, you know, this kind of thing. Our plans fail for, for lack of advice and all that kind of stuff. Okay, and then they would go hard on Proverbs, what's it, 3, 5 or something like that, about lean not on your own understanding. understanding and all your ways acknowledging, yep. But, but my wife would point out later, um, she said, wait a minute, lean not on your own understanding. Okay, I got that, but you want me to lean instead on your understanding exactly. as a leader. Yes. Yeah, yeah that, it doesn't say they, lean not on your understanding, but on, you know, <laughs> lean on the understanding of the cult leader. It doesn't say that in there. <laughs> or your neighbor. Okay, right, exactly. <laughs> so we eventually figured out... Uh, and it's funny, it came through love. I, I became this low-level leader of a what they call a Bible talk. And and uh, I had like 10 people assigned to me. And there's some fascinating stories. Maybe I'll tell you one or two if we have time. But um, but eventually I started noticing the leaders above me. You know, everybody's got a different personality. But one was particularly harsh and just 
like counterproductive trying to he was undoing by his behaviors guys I was trying to build up and get them encouraged and more confident in God and more faithful and to live more righteously and he was just tearing them down just being mean hmm. and I complained about that and uh, I got gaslighted by the boss that I complained to mm-hmm. and but I got sure I, so it finally came down to a matter of love I'm like wait a minute I'm just, I'm assigned to love these guys and you're tearing them down and and okay that's it now that's not all there was it was all kind of disagreement about doctrine and, and whatever else in fact one of the leaders you're talking about you know them trying to sway me the guy actually says these words to me uh, he says unity is more important than being right mm-hmm. sure I've heard that I'm like wait wait a minute unity about what Mm-hmm. There's a way because if it there's a way in which I agree with that, right? Well, it, it, there's a lot of caveats before that, but but as a group of people, unity is is as long as it's not at the expense of the health and happiness of the people involved in the group. Unity is more important than truth to people. It's to, a double-edged to, sword. To a group of humans. It's a double-edged yes. sword. Yes, it's true the way you said it. It's if, a lot of caveats. Yeah, either we're all going to work together and get off this mountain. Right. Or or you're going to think right, or you're going to think that rock is called something different than me. That's right. Yeah, yeah. or but if you're talking about this, which is to this these well, people make their decisions. The other, then exactly. it becomes the other That's thing. That's the other side of the sword. I just I just wanted the to be the, the devil's advocate. Ha, oh, you devil. <laughs> oh, little devil. Like, a lot of caveats, caveats. I can't say the word. <laughs> Cavi- you got, you know caviar. A lot of caviar. <laughs> but all right, sorry. Sorry about that. So unity is better than being right. A more important than uh, he said, and yeah, Andy, I agree. There are lots of caveats here because it comes down to well, what exactly do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. But uh, exactly. here we are in a religion. And they usually that, I'm pretty uh, sure it's caviar. <laughs> caviar. Were they, yes. were they talking about? Were they talking about the Bible, or were they just talking about you know everyone getting along as a group and heading in one direction? Or their theology? Yeah, yeah there, and that's Ralph, right? He's asking. Yes, that's Ralph. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, that's it. Was a Bible thing, and and I don't remember the specific, but I know it was a doctrinal thing and a question of this and that, because I was always I always wanted and and human brains seem to be designed to do this. We want things to make good sense. Sure, that's absolutely true. Okay, mm-hmm. and so every everything you tell me, uh, and I may be neurodiverse in some ways and all that, but I'm one of those guys. If you tell me the rules, okay. That's the rules. Let's do it. Our brains and prefer our brains prefer logic over truth. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's just more satisfying. A true story that is meandering and has no point is nowhere near as good as a lie that feels logically sound. Yeah, that's yeah. We want it hundred percent true. Sense, right? That we all lean that way, right? Flat Earth, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Every human. Mm-hmm. We love things that feel logically satisfying. That's why the Bible says to lean not on your own understanding, dude. <laughs> nice bringing it back. Rick always <laughs> good. Always good to the. Re- you know what? I'm about to stop interrupting. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Jack doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. No. Uh, so he tells me that unity is more important being, than being right. And like, well, wait a minute. This is a doctrinal dispute, and isn't this religion that at the end of the day? is based on what's written down. Hmm. Right. 
Yes, and I mean, that's where you're it, getting this information from, right? Well, that was that's the plan, of course. And, right. and I, I invented this thing in my later life, this uh, concept. I started studying um, deeply about why can't you, why is it so hard to correct us when we're wrong? Mm-hmm. Like to get a guy to say, okay, uh, I get it. I, I was wrong. I'm changing my position. And, and, you know, we're all, we talk about that all the time, but it doesn't happen as much with people as it, it probably ought to. And so why is that so hard? And uh, so I, you know, I, I thought through a lot, a lot of the Bible about it, but then I also said, well, let me go see if anybody in cognitive science has anything to say about this. And I'm not talking about like counseling and that whole world of, you know, social stuff. I'm talking right, about like actual psychology research. And psychiatry, yeah. yeah, cognitive science, like That's neuroscience, right. neuro neuropathy yeah neuro yeah and then clinical i do not believe it is neuropathy how about about neurosurgeon yeah is that right not yeah (laughs) so i started studying all that and i'm just being neurotic i I realized that they were um they were onto something about some of the things they describe people as basically being cognitive misers Mm. By which they meant that, like a miser, is he doesn't want to spend a dime unless he's forced to. Mm-hmm. Well, with our thinking powers, our thinking energy, we don't want to do it sometimes unless we're forced to do it. Okay, I'll I'll sit down and plan out the thing, but I didn't want to do it. Right? You had to sure. sort of make me plan, even though we know planning is good and valuable. I didn't okay, know you so, were going to call me out like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a cognitive yeah, Andy. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why Rick wanted me to be on Andy. <laughs> so, no. So anyway, um, goodness, this is, can branch out so many ways. It's totally but fine. To Just get back to it, it, being unified is more important than being right. To him, meant, hey, we're towing the party line, dude. Right. And don't you stay in your lane? Don't get out don't of disrupt it. the group. Well, it's funny because the whole group came from disrupting what was a previously standing tradition for a couple hundred years. Yeah, that's right. Right? Sure. Okay. I and think so, that's what scared Judas. Hmm. What scared Judas? Too much disrupting going on, and I think he got scared. Hmm. Well, I do a large study on Judas, and uh, we, we uh, were you here when we did that? I was. Yeah. That's why I said that. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, sorry about that. You haven't heard that yet, Jack. Yeah, you right. can critique it and tell Ralph that he's wrong later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure, sure. I'm so wrong. Rick thought about it for 18 months and then listen, did man. A, did, it's did, better did to listen to me than to think for yourself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To our, Says Edward R. Murrow. <laughs> we are the cult. So by this time, uh, we um, or I I wasn't married yet. I hadn't I had not met my wife to be yet either. But um, so I'm being told that hey. Being unified is more important than being right, even about doctrine. I'm like, no, that just cannot be right. Uh, not in this case, because you know Jesus and God are the ones who say what's true, and you've got to go back to the text. Now, when I got on the cognitive science later, I'd realized there's this, this thing, and I started to tell you about this a minute ago. I, I coined a, a term, there, there wasn't a word for it. I call it um, interpretation neglect. Hmm. And it's sort of a term similar to some other terms in cognitive science, but it, it's about how when we believe a thing, we may think like, well, the Bible says, you know, X, Y, Z, therefore, you know, X, Y, Z, 
and we're neglecting the fact that no wait a minute that's your interpretation of the bible and it may not be as clear as you think it is what was actually meant by it mm -hmm. right and so but we always would well, not always but we so frequently neglect that oh wait there's a human in the middle of this between uh, what it actually says and meant and then what i think it means and the human in the middle is me mm -hmm. sure. right so how well informed am i what's my character like am i patient enough to study it or do i lack patience i'm going i want a quick decision even if it's wrong i think that's the big or question it, mark and, and well, i think andy it? brings it up a lot it's it's you know what? What's your interpretation of it, and what did you do to study? Did you read this online, or is there something? You know, show me in the book. Oh yeah, that's why we started the podcast. Exactly, because we all came from either those who performed neglected inter interpretation, or we were doing it ourselves, and so we're trying to revisit and unlearn and rethink. But we're still the man in the middle. No, right? I, I think we're that's still the middle man. Right. That's the that's the. We're, like, we're talking the, with each other, and we're trying to rationalize this together. We're like Xerox copies. That's, that's making the hinge copies right of a there. copy of a copy. Mm -hmm. And it gets worse and worse. That's a good term, neglected interpretation. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, it's I, I, interpretation I like it. neglect. Oh, okay. So I just coined a new phrase. It's that's what no. Colts do, baby. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry about that. Yeah, it's all right. So, so anyway, I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't really stay here. They're, they're, they're hurting the guys. I'm trying to help, or at least you know that's the way I interpreted the situation. And of course, I was right, uh, but um, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, so we moved to another city. Uh, we were in Nashville, Tennessee. We moved to Atlanta, where the Atlanta um, uh, congregation of this same uh, denomination was known to be the kinder, gentler than Nashville. So we moved over there, and we got there, and I'm like, huh. It, it wasn't much better uh, in various ways. And, oh, yeah, because if everything goes, you're still not in the Word. Well, that's right. And so, yeah, so it, the story is such a long one. I have to figure out, okay, what are the real big points? So eventually we got, you know, within a year, uh, we're getting married. And um, uh, and then we still have, there's still issues there at that church too, and there's still doctrinal things. And we start pointing them out to our the minister of our little section of the congregation. And um, he talked about it some, but he wanted to say that, oh, you know, church, all there's all problems everywhere. All the churches have problems, and which is, of course, true. And the things you're pointing out, um, you know, just look at Galatia and Corinth and how terrible they were. And, but the point, and not that, what he's saying has zero basis, but it was defensive. It was like, no, we're not going to fix anything because problems are the norm and the bar should be set low. I'm like, well, you know, that doesn't work with my conscience. I think I'm supposed to deny myself daily and take up my cross and follow Jesus, and and which means a lot of work. It's not just being a cognitive miser, but a moral miser where you don't want to spend effort on the quality of your interaction with humanity and, and what you do in your own mind and all that. So I had gotten that idea already that I kind of owed something to Jesus about how I run my mind and and how I treat people 
and how I behave in this world. And so that congregation was kind of lax about that. And it really bothered me. And um, so it wasn't long, though. It was like a month after we were married till the minister says, well, Jack, you can uh, either uh, quit talking about that or you can leave. And, and so, and of course, he's using 1 Corinthians and he's using Galatians. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. That's cheating because here are two books that were written um, to point out these bad behaviors and to demand repentance under threat of the lake of fire. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so yeah. you're going to use those to say this is normative. I'm like, no, this is, uh, this is an aberration. It should not be. And so they weren't uh, serious enough about how we live. But then, you know, here's Jack, like, I'm not all that well trained myself. I just, I see it a little better than the camp I'm in sees it, I think. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, it, it, to be fair, a lot of us do that, though, Jack. A lot of us think that we're right and others are wrong. It's not surprising. Of course. You know, when you have a of group of people, like I'm involved in a church, and in that group, they have a lot of doctrine that I don't agree with, but you don't upset the apple cart because the fellowship of the believers and the group, sometimes it it seems to be more of value than being right. Like There's that moment. But see, I'm not that way. That's not my makeup. My makeup is no. I think we should interpret it in this way. And I think that that because we've interpreted this way, therefore we should live this way. And so I'm different. However, I'm still a part of that group. You see? And so I've picked my battles and that's how I've chosen to live in my current state. But I still think I'm right. And I know that I may not be, because 20 years from now, I might find out a lot of the things that I hold, I think, and hold true to, I may have interpreted incorrect. That's how it was when I discovered preterism. I had, I was full-on dispensational, ready to call the fire down, you know, the spaceships are coming, baby, and, you know, that's where my brain was at. We've Tom got Cruise. Gog and Magog, it's all happening, you know, Um so then to, to come to this realization and begin to see the scriptures open up in a whole new way was shocking for me. And so that, that's what really humbled me. And I was like, mm, maybe I'm not right about everything. And that's okay, you know? And that's a good place to be. I like, I like being that. And that really, I put a lot of trust and faith in the grace of God. And I like to think that he knows everything and I'm okay with me not knowing everything, you know? But I but I see where you're coming from. When you feel strongly about it and you definitely see error at some point, you're going to have to make the decision. Either you're going to stay with it and not be bothered by it, or you're going to be bothered by it and move, right? Well, what I wanted was something different. Sure. I wanted, yeah. could, we please, could we please all be bothered by this? Mm-hmm. Because it's the scriptures that bother me about it. And what I got back was, well, we're not really interested in that. We just want to keep the church plate spinning. Yeah. And you're kind of making it wobble. So why don't you just move along? Mm-hmm. People right. are terrified of change. Sure. I, I, yes. It doesn't matter how you, I deal, I deal with it all the time because just in the middle of a song, you'd be like, that note, like the whole song, it'd be one note. That note's wrong. Just change that one note to this note. And it like, and I know I've done this long enough. I have to wait for that person. They're going to make a face and they're going to do it. They're going to have to hear it a bunch of times and then hear the old one and all this. It doesn't matter right. that I'm right. Mm-hmm. Like I have to push them the whole way. And then they'll come out the other side eventually and be like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 better. 
Mm-hmm. It was just like one little note. It was almost a meaningless change. It's just like that note clashes. Maybe you don't hear it, but some people will. Yeah. Right. It's it's incredible how difficult change is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yes. And so so here's my big thing. That word repent and even like uh well, there's a ton in the Bible about the mind and using and thinking through things. And, you know, come let us reason together, says God. And the first to present his case seems right until someone comes along and questions him, says uh, Solomon. And uh, give careful thought to your ways, says God. And each one should examine himself. And uh, even where Jesus says to the Pharisees, uh, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. It's like, mm. oh, he must have thought they were capable of making the right judgment, yet they weren't doing it. They were being stubborn. Mm-hmm. And so there's a ton of stuff in there about that. And when you try to shut me down, say, no, we're not going to look into this. We would rather be wrong than to uh, make a change, rather be long, wrong than even to look at that. Let's just stay unified and say that that's the more important thing. And I just felt like that was not good faith between man and God. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and so, the Bible also says there's a way that seems right into a man, but it ultimately leads to what? To death. 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 Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> does this mean that everything that seems right to every man will lead him to death? Absolutely not. But see, that my point is, is that mm-hmm. you can take these verses and you can, we could put so much authority on that verse and say, see, no man is right. You know, even though you and I can rationalize and understand, that's not what he means. Well, it's not even yeah. what he's talking about. We got to keep it in the context in which he was talking about. Well, the narcissist knows how to do this. It's yeah. called gaslighting. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, what you do is you say, "Well, Jack, I hear your concerns about uh, you know this thing we say about the Lord's Supper, um, and uh, you know, but really, bro, I'm concerned because I'm hearing a lot of Jack in that. I'm not hearing a bunch of Jesus. I'm hearing a lot of Jack." Right. Mm-hmm. Like, what? You're about my tone? I was trying to talk about scripture. Why is the conversation now about my tone? I, I, uh, I'd like to point out that Jack might be a real name or an example name, but it is the perfect example name. Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> right. is. Well, I had to watch myself because I normally use Billy as an example name. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that because it's empty. <laughs> right? Yeah. So who else? What other names do I have? I have a friend named Larry. He ruins that one for me. So, you know, what can you do? Don't hijack the conversation. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, yeah, right? So let's uh, – But we're, we're only going to have like 10 to 15 minutes left in this interview, and so I, sure. I don't want to – get lost in the weeds here if you so from at this stage where you are you are newly married you've been at this church in atlanta for what'd you say a month and then a few months yeah a few months yeah and so this sudden you're going to make a change again i can i can feel that you're not going to stay there oh that's right we left and we just said okay we're going home we're going to study the bible and uh it was that was a scary experience because we realized very shortly that, and here we were newlyweds, uh, but we realized that, oh, for the first time in a very long time, uh, 17 years for me, 18 for Kay, we don't have the church looking over our shoulder being the authority that's saying we're doing okay. Hmm. And we couldn't have told you that beforehand, but we realized, oh, that was a big part of 
our psychology and how it all works that well the church had to approve of you you had to be doing uh okay you know to get the nod and that sort of thing and without that that was very scary it was a I don't know that withdrawal is the right word, but it's close enough that you sort of know what I mean. That we felt like, oh, we're kind of naked out here without the authority of, you know, the church to tell us what's right. And so, but we got out, we started studying uh, a lot and we already were both studiers. So that was really good. But, um, and we'd go visit a church here and there and where we wanted to say that, oh, well, or, and certainly a lot of others would say, well, that church you were in, bro, that was a cult. Duh. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, and, you know, and we, we sort of thought about that, but we realized, wait a minute, the same problems that we saw there, the same kind of, you know, bad decision-making, bad interpretation, uh, ignorance, or just, you know, wrong beliefs are the same sins that were sort of protected, you know, uh, in, in that culture. Uh, well, those same recipe items we found in every other church we ever went to also. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, different proportions, but the same same ingredients. Yeah, welcome to the human race. Well, there you go. It's a human thing, right? And so this gets me back to what would eventually turn into, hey, okay, what what's up with all this? Why are we so hard to change our minds when we've got something wrong? We don't even want to look at it, right? Like, like uh Andy was saying about uh, just it takes forever even to get one point to sink in, mm-hmm. right? And why is that? And so, and and I do now think that I, most churches, if I can generalize, I think do pretty terrible at teaching what the whole repentance idea really was. Mm-hmm. That you're you're giving up like your whole mind to be renewed in your mind over to something that's not you this is god whose ways are higher than your ways and the thoughts are higher than your ways and and so how big a deal should that be to say okay i'm repenting i'm mind changing this isn't just it's not just about smoking Mm -hmm. it's not just about being late to sunday school (laughs) boy i really had a lot of things to repent of when i converted (laughs) um no, it's it's about my mind does not work like God's mind. Uh, somebody clicked that stopwatch go because this is going to take some time, but it's going to be like a lifelong thing. Uh, so repentance is an attitude. It's not what you did up until you got baptized or up until you, you went forward at church and you know, whatever the, the thing is in the different groups. Mm-hmm. That it was a way of life. So right. did you find and a church that helped you with that? Oh no, 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 no. We uh, we stayed home. We asked a bunch of questions of the Bible. We found a bunch of answers, of course, and we did some poor Bible work and some good Bible work. And um, we asked the hard questions too, like, okay, is this true? Mm-hmm. Is there really a God? Uh, is Jesus really his son? Uh, how do we know this is true? what's in the Bible, what should be in the Bible, what sh- is there anything here that should not be in the Bible? Uh, how do we know? Is there, did the apostles go down and initial the table of contents in this Bible? Did God sign off on this? How do we know? We ask these really hard questions that mm-hmm. uh, most people don't really want to talk about for long, other than just to tell you what they've already decided. Sure. You know, 
right? And so exactly like we got a Lazarus wrote the Gospel of John. <laughs> no way, no. <laughs> it's a little inside we, joke we have not, here. We're not going to get into. Oh yeah, that. yeah. I, well, I've heard enough of your podcast. I know what you're talking about. And <laughs> you just stop right there. Well, I've heard enough. Yeah. 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 Then you also know the song by Andy. Blame Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about my greatest That's hit. Funny. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. One hit wonder. So where do you go now for that truth? If you because if you're thinking of it and you're sitting down and you're contemplating it, you obviously have to go somewhere else and you're going to other places. Have you found a place or two that consistently uh, has the uh, has the answer that you feel is in step with what's written? Uh, not a place, but people. I have friends, and I'm so glad for the internet because uh, you know finding like-minded friends in your own town can be really really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but, is there a particular uh, yeah. site that you have found? Yeah, I got to go out of state. Or anything? <laughs> oh, no, just friends, just chatting, you know, like Facebook. Either on the phone or, you know, <clears throat> Messenger or whatever. Yeah. I have constant daily uh, discussion about the Bible and how to conduct my life and how do I deal with this friend with that problem and all that. So, I have a very rich uh, fellowship, and, and the, uh, the best of it is at home, even with my wife and my son. And so, we've, we've got a really good team. Uh, going with that and it's very rich but when we got we're off by ourselves and uh, we go through all this stuff by ourselves uh, then it wasn't long before Kay found some site or other with uh, some preterist discussion and uh, we figured it out very quickly that ah add it to the list of things about which we've likely been wrong and this by the way in uh, 2012 this is my big epiphany, my big contribution to the philosophy of planet Earth. And I call it um, Pelham's Law of Cognitive Error. And it says, <laughs> I, now here it is. Now get ready. You I can put it. me on the seat. I am most likely wrong about many things. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's, that's so, my big boast, right? So I, I just, I hate to, you know, bust your bubble, but that's uh, Welch's. Law of cognitive thinking, not Pelham's. I'm older than all of you, and I started that. <laughs> but did I did I, I don't publish know about it? First? But I'm not wrong. Did you publish it? Possibly. It was 2012. Yeah, if I, published I didn't it think first, I was wrong you know. until last year. Hey, my dad's been telling me I'm wrong since I'm a kid. <laughs> He's right, though. It really does go to whoever published first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you hear about that thing? With the superconductors, the guys that did that? No. Okay, no. so that's something recent. Yeah, yes. there's yeah. this like possible. I'll make it quick, I promise. Uh, there's this, like, people that are claiming they've discovered a room temperature superconductor, yes. which is absolutely world-changing if it happens yes. to be true. Oh, right. So it was like a team of, like, I don't know, nine, ten scientists. I make up numbers. There's lots of numbers. Maybe yeah. it was 376 scientists. <laughs> uh, but you can only get a Nobel Peace Prize on a paper with three people. Yes. So, like, three of the group, like – did their homework real fast and published a paper before <laughs> yes. the, the other paper with all the authors on it so that they could no like way. be uh so that they could uh, be eligible for a Nobel Peace Prize. And the fact that they were silly, silly little shady con humans is a good indication that they think they really truly have something. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, end of story. There no, that, might be a room a... temperature semiconductor. It'll probably be about ten hundred thousand dollars an ounce. That's a real number. Yes, I looked it up. He knows numbers. Uh, I know numbers. <laughs> anyway, I saw that, Andy. So I yeah. can back you up on that. Yes. Yeah, 
It's crazy. Yes. Man, I would really like to know what superconductor temperatures actually work. Is it sub-temperature? It's, it's, yes. Yeah, like yeah. like stuff. You got to drop it in liquid nitrogen, right. and then it'll be a superconductor for two minutes after right. you take it out or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, or it would big, stay superconductor as long deal. as you could keep it that cold. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, you can't because we don't have enough liquid nitrogen to keep it cold that constantly. You could do it with like small amounts, but the idea is with room temperature stuff, you could have much bigger, larger amounts because yes. then you could keep it all. You wouldn't need to keep it cold. So Jack, we, uh, I've got, I've termed another phrase uh, here called the burrow derailment. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really nice. I feel like, I right. feel like it's a lot of, I feel like I'm good at that. Yeah. But I'm just glad you got Even to hear Andy. about the numbers. So Jack, let's, uh, so so tell me now. So you've you've met friends. You've been introduced to preterism. Uh, Two thousand twelve. You you know you coined that. Uh, you know about most likely you were wrong. But so tell me what you think. Tell me where you are right now. Like, do you still feel that way? Like you're most when you approach something that you're most likely wrong, or have you gotten some things that you know? We I'll say that say this. We question a lot of things here. We talk about a lot of things here, and we always joke and say, "Well, we solved that," even though we know we haven't, and yeah, we never we really come to. A lot too. Yeah, we speculate, and we don't come to very many conclusions in None. here. Um, and I got to be honest with you, Jack. I find a lot of peace in that. I do yeah. because I know that um, there's no way that I can know everything. Uh, it's just not possible. Right. And so I, I don't know. I, I guess I just enjoy. Not having to be completely right, <laughs> right. you know, or at least have. What do you think about that? Say your piece. Uh, okay, so first of all, my cognitive life is very rich. I'm constantly studying. I write a ton. I write every day, mm-hmm. and I'm keeping lists of this and that and the other thing. And I'm on the preterism trail, and I'm on uh, the like. What was the creation? What is Genesis one telling us? And just covenant creation. So many. Covenant creation is such a big thing going on right now. And I have also, um, you know, hypotheses about this, that, and the other thing. I do not understand the whole big picture, and I'm surely wrong in lots of the particulars, but I am, I think, making a lot of progress in understanding things and like why we are. I'm particularly interested in, in us. Why are people like people are? Mm-hmm. And what did God want? And is he getting what he wants? You know, right. from us, could could we understand better? Could we study the scriptures better than we do? So uh, it's a very cognitively busy life, and that's, that's it's fascinating, uh, and mm-hmm. an interesting way to an interesting lens. Yeah, yeah absolutely. it really is. Yeah, I picked up on that whenever I first got this message from Jack. He's a very intuitive, very thoughtful. Um, yeah, and. Before we close this out, Jack, I, is it okay if I read something that you sent us? Just not the whole sure. thing, just a little bit. Oh, yeah. How about it? So, only the incriminating parts. Yeah. it's This will only take 17 and a half minutes. <laughs> so here we go. So, so he sends this to me, uh, and it says, Rick, on episode 120, yes. to infinity and beyond, that's whenever – that was our uh, second episode with Dr. Frost. That was right after he did his testimony. At minute 33 – Dr. Frost is saying Enoch died. I know you know before then that you're... Hold on. 
Let me uh, take my glasses off so that I can actually read. I know you know better than that yourself because you said so, but I'm just sending you some passages to show that he did not die. First of all, Dr. Frost cites, but does not quote, Hebrews 11. But the very passage he quotes contradicts his position. It says, Hebrews 11.5, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Further, here's the entirety of Genesis 5. He gives me links to Bible Gateway. Look how everybody named in the chapter is said to have died, except for Enoch, of whom it is said God took him. This is just a flavor. Uh, this, he, this email uh, is pretty extensive. He has a lot of highlights, links, things like that, which is killer. I've never had anybody give me that much attention, guys. Well, Enoch that much canonically died in the modern Bible. It's likely that he is a character from an early time that was pushed forward into that time in order to uh, in order to facilitate the story. Uh, just you picking up what he's laying down, Jack? Uh, this is sort of the pseudographical argument. That, that uh, sorry, you Enoch... just used a four dollar word on a two dollar man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He sucks at Scrabble, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, so I that... I heard through a very good source that I can't name or show to you. An <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, 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 argument that Enoch uh, was a character that was a historical character that was important to Judaism that was actually moved kind of from the early time of Kings, maybe. Uh, yeah. My brain is terrible to a later time because he was important and just needed to be fit sort of into the story. Mm-hmm. And actually, he was okay. before Kings, way before. He was in well, Genesis, but but this the Book of Enoch they believe was written in the second century BC. I think probably the third Book of Enoch is they believe it is chronically written that late. It was the second century BC, from what I understand, is when the three volumes of Enoch were written. Hmm. I think the first, and it's considered pseudepigraphal. Yeah, right. Uh, well, the borough derailment. Has continued. It, it, it is. Go ahead, Jack. Well, Enoch's considered uh, by some to be a pseudepigraphical book, but I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't hear many people thinking through, hmm, let's sit down and figure out how could this be that somebody who was the seventh from Adam was still writing uh, two centuries before uh, Jesus comes, right? Sure. And nobody... Uh, I say nobody, almost nobody, thinks through this. Well, I think there are several possibilities worth discussing that may be plausible, uh, but it's just sort of the foregone because we learned this big word, uh, pseudepigrapha, and like, oh, well, that's just pseudepigrapha. Like, okay. And I think there's several cases that I could cite where um, I can give you a plausible story for why something that's labeled that way may not be rightly labeled that way. And uh, but it's kind of like nobody wants to talk about it, so right? And we this, this is what I hear. Like we've we've said that we know that like the Book of Enoch that it was quoted that the Bible quotes it, yes, Indeed. verbatim. There's another in book, the book we've of Jude about too. Um, you know we know that it quotes it, and so if it's quoting it, why couldn't it be considered canon or at least read and and kept in as kind of the way that you know, the Catholic Church has the Apocrypha, that why wouldn't we have the book? If we know that it's quoting it, like the book of Jasher, for example. There we go. You're hearing sure, the book of Jasher. Go. Why isn't that in our Bible if they're quoting it so often? Yes. You know? Mm -hmm. 
So we, well, we ask that about- same question here. We read these, and I'm very careful when I read them. And I say that because I've been taught that if it's outside of canon, then it's not God's word. That's what I've been told, right? Yes, right. But I think, well, if he's quoting it, then maybe some men got this wrong and they've canonized the wrong things. Well, that's a deep, deep pool. Oh, very deep. It's very difficult to go. Now, all of a sudden, I'm calling down you know, hellfire on myself for saying something like that. But well, the only so. hard part that if you've spent any time reading those books, there are some things that are written in there that are, I think, hard to comprehend. Yeah. Because they say certain things, it's... That you would almost in a like a scientific novel or a science fiction show, you'd see something and you just wouldn't believe it because you know it's too fantasical. I'm just I made my own word. That then. is a word that we do know what you mean, but it's not a word. <laughs> it's not a word at all. Uh, yeah, fantasical. Yes, I've totally screwed that up. <laughs> what were you saying, Jack? There, there's stuff in the Bible that is fantastic. Um, but is it if we didn't want to believe it, like the sun and the moon stood still? Yeah, absolutely. If, if you assuming you you take that literally, well, you, I mean, uh, there's also creatures that are talked about in the, in both of those books. Certain types sure. of creatures and things that that don't right. seem to be literal, and they're well, written and, in the, in a way that are literal. And my point was simply that, uh, like a worldwide flood, are you crazy? That's impossible. Well, okay, uh, if assuming that's what the text is saying, you know, I know there's a debate there, but the point is that uh, many people who will poo-poo the extra-biblical writings on account of something seeming outlandish will accept things that seem outlandish if it's in the Bible. Exactly, which was right? which is my so point earlier. It's some sort of bias based going on. on this is canon, 66 books. Yes. If you go outside of this, then you are in danger of hellfire. Yes. I mean, that's right. what it is, so then, right? You, if you question the Bible, you've already stepped out of the line. And we're saying, wait. To repeat a point, yeah, it's very interesting that the Bible can refer to these books. Yes, but it but they're not considered canonical. The Bible calls on it to teach you something, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, think I counted one time uh, about 136 passages in the Bible that refer to some book that is not in the Bible. That's right. Yep. Yeah, you yep. got the wisdom of Solomon. Yep. Uh, you. Oh, you know, I mean, there's so many books, and and we have them, and we can read them. The life of Adam and Eve, and the and book I of study Jubilee. these. Yep. I have these the in the digital kings. library. So when I study, I'm I'm pulling up what's in all of these books, uh, yeah. so that I can know. But let me say, I wanted to say this one point that's really important to me, and that is that in these discussions, always there's the guy who raises his hand. But you know, that's not in the canon, right? Like, oh, yes, 100%. We, yes, we know, we know. And of course, he's he's got to warn or or be the watchdog or something like this. But the the thing that really I find so short sighted is that a thousand people will say. Is this canonical to everyone who will say, is this true? Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't help but laugh every time I hear canon yes. and canonical. And because I'm laughing because I'm always <laughs> busting Rick's chops constantly. Because he's like, but what about this? Because well, it says yes, in the book of Joshua, like, yeah, but it's canon. not canon. It's not canon. It's only does well, that's canonical. <laughs> that's just canonical, guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, he busts my chops. You know what I've time. learned from this interview, Jack? <laughs> kind of like is Lazarus. that I definitely want you to keep coming back. I want to um I want to be able to to bring you back for you know, if you want to do a critique, but what we were just talking about, about you know, is it canonical or is it true? Why don't we do an episode on that thought? 
And some of those, some of those verses you were just describing, those 136 verses, mm-hmm. could you prepare some of those and maybe give us some examples and let's actually get into this conversation a little deeper? Well, that was a list of books that I found referred to in the Bible that aren't in the Bible. Are they uh, like available? Whole, some of the books I mean, available. Like the book of Jasher is mentioned. Yeah, the book of Jasher. Well, but are it's there... mentioned in, in the Bible, in the Bible 66, right? Sure. Uh, but it's not part of that collection itself. Uh, but as far as things that are mentioned in these extra-biblical books that may be true, um, yeah, that's, a, that's like an endless conversation. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to talk about anything at any time. I do better in written uh, stuff because you're not under the gun to have to think of it right now before the before the train derails into something else. Yeah. Right. Well, we are uh, currently however, on the hunt for a new person to write our newsletter and also to add to the blog space that we have. We have Crookshank's Corner where he writes his articles, which is awesome. Yep. Mary McLeod, um, she had to step down. She is... A f- she's her grandmother, but she's a full-time mother to these boys, and she is unable to do it. She's still following the podcast and still messaging and sharing and doing Sweet. all the things. She just can't write the newsletter. And so maybe we can talk to you about something like that, a little bit more written something maybe. Yeah. Alternatively, oh. if you'd like me to stop butting in and changing the subject, I could do that too. Yeah, <laughs> that would be sweet. Yeah, no. Ooh, well, I, I think it's funny. Out. <laughs> yeah, it it adds to the atmosphere, right? No, absolutely. So, uh, but no, Rick, this is not me backpedaling from talking uh, or being sure. on the show. And I the the whole the I guess my point was I I would love to have the grand unified Bible theory all settled. And I so don't. And I'm I'm working the big picture, and maybe I've got some good ideas. Maybe they'll be laughable. I'm trying to publish some things so that some others can take some shots at it and show me if I've got it wrong. Can can you like convince me I've got it wrong? Maybe even that'd be fantastic. Uh, but um, but Jack, what are you I familiar can with do, Kim Burgess? I know his name, but I don't know. His Have you ever listened or, to Covenant Hermeneutics? Oh my gosh, yes, yeah, and biblical no. eschatology. You've ever heard that? No. That is a podcast that he and Gary Demar did together, and mm-hmm. that I'm I'm just telling you just from hearing what you're saying, I definitely see you and Kim Burgess kind of like thinking along the same lines. You ought to check that podcast out. It's really good. It now, is. some people say it's not. It's but it's not. You know, it's not full preterist enough. Oh my you know, it's, it's not like canon? full preterist light. Yeah. Do what? It's not canon. It's not canon. It's it's not canon. <laughs> right. Exactly right. Yeah, you're yeah, well, quit, Jack, listen, supporting Rick on that, okay, I really Jack? appreciate you taking the time out to be with us today and sharing your testimony. And yes. um, I definitely want to, let's let's keep in touch. Let's have you back on. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. And sorry that we took up all of your time talking. Actually, I apologize for Andy. No, I'm just kidding. We, I apologize for nothing. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> That's very true. No, it was, it was a great conversation, but I really appreciate you doing this and uh, hope to have you back. Definitely. Yeah, yep. I'd love to do it. Let's do it. All right. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Good to meet you. Take care. Yes, Thank sir. you. Thanks. Big Daddy Carter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. To, oh, no. Thanks, <laughs> Ralph and Represent. Andy. Yep. Thanks for canical. being here. And uh, we will talk to you guys again next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Peace out. Later. Thanks for the memory. Hey, guys. This is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. 
but that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. It was a very nice, very thoughtful man. He was. I really liked him. I'm glad that you waited until I shut it off before you heard that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I almost said it to him, but I was like, ah, whatever. I don't Were care. you going to say I'm love him too? Stepped on. Huh? Were you going to say I love you too? That was yeah. maybe. <laughs> you maybe. told Doug Wilson you loved him. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, so I even awesome. got these. Hey, I reserve the right to say it anytime <laughs> I want. You can't make me stop. <laughs> <laughs>